Amen. Once again, happy Easter. Good morning, Homestead Church. We doing good? Feeling good today? The sun is out. It's a great day to be in church. Just want to invite you after the service. Maybe you've already done this. We've got a place for you to take a nice family photo downstairs in the lobby. And then outside in what we call our backyard, there's, you know, it's the Easter. It's Easter Sunday. There's a couple of bunny rabbits and some baby chicks and ducks. And for the kids to go, you know, you got to have some farm animals around on Easter Sunday. The bunnies, they've, I've been told they need to be kept separate for some reason. And so they're doing that this morning. But the... The chicks and the ducks, they're all out there under the heating lamp, just huddled in the corner right now, waiting for another round of just hand. For them, the perspective must be weird. Like, it's this random morning where all of a sudden there's just these hands coming from heaven, just like the claw in Monsters, Inc. Like, I'm going to a better place, and then just getting manhandled by all the children of our church. But it is a great morning to be in church. My name is Jeff Kerr. I'm one of the pastors here. My wife and I are the pastors here. I just want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. It is a great day to be in church, more than just the photos and the and the fun stuff for the kids to do. Um, as I was uh, just listening to everyone sing those songs together, the final song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, hearing the voices in the room being lifted up to God as praise, it, it, was, um, it was an amazing thought just to think of all the congregations all over the world and all the different languages on this Easter Sunday lifting up the name of our Lord and Savior. We are a part of a big movement, a big kingdom of God, the celebration of a resurrected Savior. Amen. And so I am so glad that you are with us today. We are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 today, really talking about the beginning of the Christian movement that was launched in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're here today not just celebrating a good story, not just celebrating the happy ending of the story of Jesus. You know, if you, if you followed the story of Jesus, if, if you followed him through all the miracles and all the teachings and then there was that moment where he was crucified and you think, oh man, this, this movement is over and then the resurrection happens. And if you're thinking like a good story, that's where the music builds and the, the end of the story is a happy ending and it is a great story and we believe that it is a true event. But more than just that, more than a happy ending, it is an event that launched this Christian movement that we are a part of. There is no Christian faith. There is no Christian church without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Right? There is no, we are not here as a church celebrating without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Had Jesus not risen from the dead, he would have been just another person that claimed to be the son of God and got a following and got people you know, riled up and tried to overthrow Rome and the Roman Empire came in and crucified them. This was not an uncommon story. This wasn't just Jesus that this happened to. If Jesus had not risen, there would be no reason for us to remember him. There would be no reason. Now, Jesus is written about in historical writings, not just in the Bible. The, I guess the benefit of him being alive during the Roman Empire was because the Roman Empire was the global power, and typically of global powers, they assume they're going to be in power forever. So they were really good at documenting things and the history of the empire, all the things that were happening throughout the Roman Empire. So there are other historical writers writing about Jesus. The man who was born in Bethlehem, who was from Nazareth, who grew up claiming to be the son of God, who claimed to have the forgiveness of sin and was crucified at the hands of the Roman rulers. And that was part of a historical writing. But if that's all the story is, we have no reason to celebrate today. We have no reason to be here as a church. Not an uncommon story, what happened to Jesus. 
But the next part of the story is what really makes it interesting, right? The next part of the story is what confirms everything that Jesus taught. The fact that he rose from the dead. So after the crucifixion, all the disciples were in hiding. But then a few days later, a matter of a couple weeks later, all of a sudden the people who followed Jesus were going around telling people, this Jesus who was crucified, he rose from the dead. He is alive. We've seen the empty tomb. We've actually seen Jesus alive and well. And more and more people began to see Jesus. More and more people began to believe that this Jesus who was crucified rose from the dead. Scripture later on would talk about how there was over 500 people that witnessed Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And a movement began. And that is why we are here celebrating today. These disciples that had been in hiding... Because if you're a disciple of Jesus and you're following him and you're like, yes, this is the one who's going to bring freedom to Israel, and all of a sudden he dies on a cross like many others had, you got to think, well, it wasn't, he wasn't the one. He wasn't the one because obviously those who die tend to stay dead, right? But for Jesus, when he rose again, it breathed life into this movement and it launched this movement and it really validated everything that Jesus had said beforehand. All the miracles and all the teachings and his claim to be the son of God. If you are someone who died and then rose from the dead, I'm in. I'm buying whatever you're selling, right? Whatever you said leading up to that, I'm in. If you're selling essential oils and you rise from the dead, I'm in. I'm putting thieves behind my ear every night. Because you rose from the dead. If you are, you know, a workout program or intermittent fasting or whatever it is, if you're crossfitting and you rise from the dead, I'm signing up Monday morning, right? If you rise from the dead, I'm buying everything you're selling. This is what it was with Jesus, the fact that he rose, the fact that we are here remembering him, that he is, his life is written down in gospel accounts from eyewitnesses who witnessed his death and resurrection. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. If you're trying to anchor your faith in Jesus on anything other than the resurrection, it is going to be found lacking. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what anchors our faith. So we're going to look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the Christian church. This movement of people, this would have been about six weeks, what we're going to read today, happened about six weeks after Jesus died and rose again. He is risen, he's ascended to heaven, he appeared to over 500 people in the, in the weeks following his resurrection. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit coming down and empowering and filling all the people who were waiting for it. And then all of a sudden, these disciples begin to get up, and Peter gets up in Acts chapter 2 and begins to preach to the crowds that had gathered around. This is the same Peter who a couple of weeks before had denied Jesus three times when he was going to the cross, who would have felt like he failed Jesus at the most important moment, like all the disciples would have been in hiding following the crucifixion because they would just have assumed if we get found, we're going to be next because we were with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, we find this same Peter standing up preaching with boldness, saying, Jesus Christ crucified has risen from the dead. Something had to happen to Peter to make him switch from the failure, coward, hiding in fear to standing up, boldly proclaiming the, the risen Savior. And this is what we read about. I wanted to read a couple of verses to start out in Acts chapter 2, 
I'm going to read verse 22 through 24. This is what is widely regarded as the first sermon in the Christian church. So if my sermon today is the one millionth and somethingth or however many it is, this is sermon number one. This is where it all began when Peter got up and proclaimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. It says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is what Peter said. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, what Peter is saying is, we saw the miracles. You were all there. A lot of you were there when you saw Jesus do these miracles. That is a sign that God had given him authority to do that and that he was the son of God. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. What a great phrase, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Not even death could hold Jesus. Not even death had power over Jesus. This is a great part of this sermon. I love that Peter is just calling it out. He is talking to this audience who is gathered around, and it's not a, it's not a real feel-good moment right there. He's not pulling any punches with the audience that is listening to him. He's saying this Jesus was um, ordained by God to perform these miracles and yet was handed over to lawless men and was crucified by, and then he says, you, you all did it. This is not a trying to get everyone feeling comfortable about church, right? This is not a, hey, we hope you like our church today. Come back next week. We got donuts downstairs and shake hands with some people and go see our bunnies and chicks and ducks. So this is Jesus died and you killed him. This is kind of like cutting right to the heart of the matter. Peter is saying you did it, but God raised him up. It was part of God's plan and he raised him up to show that he can loose the pangs of death because it was not possible for death to even hold him. God allowed Jesus to be crucified, and you thought by killing him that you could prove he wasn't from God, but God proved you wrong. He rose, and we've all seen the resurrected Jesus. God raised him, freeing from the pangs of death. This is the message that Peter starts out with. The phrase, the pangs of death, that's an interesting wording used by Peter. The wording there is significant for a couple of reasons. Um, in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written in, the word that would be originally written that was translated to that is the Greek word odin. And it's where we would get the idea of pangs of childbirth, like excruciating pain. That's this idea of the pain that we walk through, the severe agony of childbirth. This is what Peter is using this imagery of to talk about the, the pain that we walk through in life that Jesus Christ has even loosed that from our lives. This is the good news, right? But the imagery there that Peter uses, using that phrase, the pangs of death, would have been familiar to the Jewish audience because this imagery or that phrase would have been used in the Old Testament and these people would have been very familiar with the Old Testament writings and scriptures where that imagery of the pain of death or the pangs of death, the Old Testament writers would have put that in different psalms or hymns or prayers that they had written. So I want to read one example. When King David, back in the, in, uh, when he was ruling Israel in the Old Testament, he, was, he actually wasn't king yet. He was being hunted by King Saul. 
every enemy that was around him was trying to find David and he was in hiding, fearing for his life. And David writes in that moment these words from Psalm 18, verse 3 through 5, the same imagery that Peter is using in Acts chapter 2, says this, Psalm 18, verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And then this same imagery that Peter used, David is using here. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death, or other translations would say, the pangs of death confronted me. This is David acknowledging, I am walking through something difficult. It feels like, you know, when he's using the words like the cords of Sheol, Sheol would be another word that we would just refer to as hell. It's, it's like he's saying the very clutches of hell are coming up and grabbing onto my life, and I feel like I'm coming to the end. I feel like I'm not even going to make it, yet I will call upon the Lord who is able to save me. This is the imagery that Peter is using when talking about Jesus. They would have recognized, oh, when David wrote this a thousand years ago, he was actually foreshadowing this moment. We're actually talking about the Messiah, who is the ultimate deliverer from sin and death. And if your life is walking through something where you feel like the very grip of hell is over your life, darkness or sin or anger or depression or fear or whatever it is, we can know confidently that because of the work on the cross and the resurrected Savior, the empty tomb, that God has loosed our lives from the pain and the pang of death and hell. Amen? God has loosed our and freed us from that. Amen? This is the work of the cross. I called to the Lord and he saved me. Peter is using this language to let the people, the audience, know that this is the work that Jesus does. Peter goes on in Acts chapter 22, the very next verses, he actually quotes another psalm from King David, Psalm 16. When he writes in verse 25 through 28 of Acts, you'll see that he quotes King David. It says this, Acts 2, verse 25. For David says concerning him, and then he quotes these words from King David. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or to hell. You Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. Another great phrase, the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. You have made known to me the paths of life. You have delivered me from the pain or the pangs of death, the clutches of the enemy, the clutches of death and hell in my life, and you have placed me on the path to life. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Now, this is not just Peter talking to the audience that's there. This is not just for the people who are alive when this was written down. This is for your life today. So the reason we are here celebrating Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose, is because for your life, the work of Jesus Christ is to loosen the power of sin and death over your life. You are not under its authority anymore. And instead, under the authority of Christ, you are placed on the path of life. The path of life is not just one day when we get to heaven. That's going to be awesome. It is right now, walking in fullness of joy, realizing the plans of the enemy have no power. Sin has no power over your life anymore because of the work of cross. Now, uh, we all fall into sin and we all make choices, but sin's reign over your life is over because of Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness there. This is the work of Christ for your life, for you today on Easter Sunday.
This is what I want. Can we receive that today? Jesus, you have given me the path to life. This is a real thing that impacts your life. Next, I want to look at verse 36, a little further down in this sermon that Peter is preaching. A couple of key words that he uses here. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I love that he says it again. In case you forgot what I said early on, you're to blame. You crucified Jesus. Let all of Israel know that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Those words I highlighted for a reason. Those are key words. Those are key titles that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God placed these titles on Jesus, Lord and Christ. Some of them just sound like churchy words or Sunday school words, or when you pray, you say Lord, you say Lord a lot, or you say Christ. Some of you think, well, Christ was just Jesus' last name, right? He was Jesus Christ. No, that's not his last name. It was a title that God bestowed on him, Lord and Christ. And I want to talk about what these titles mean. In the Greek language, the word Lord would have been the Greek word Kyrios. When this was originally written, the word Kyrios would have been used. And that word means master or ruler or authority. Now, we kind of get that, right? If we, if we refer to someone as a Lord, it's kind of acknowledging, yeah, you have authority. You're in charge. You're the boss. You are Lord. Um, this is a title that was given to him. He is the ruler he is the authority. Because of the cross and the grave, Jesus is Lord. He has authority placed on him by God. The other title is Christ. In the Greek language, it's the word Christos. That word means Messiah or Savior or Deliverer. So there's two titles meaning two different things, both of them fully uh, qualifying Jesus to be authority, to be the final word. In other words, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Because of the cross, he has authority over sin. So sin in your life, Jesus has authority over that. He has the power to forgive sin. And he said over and over in the New Testament, when we read the gospel accounts, that he has the authority to forgive sin, and it was confirmed when he died on the cross, paying the price for our sin. And because of the empty tomb, Jesus has authority even over death and the grave. The pangs of death and hell, are even those are now submissive to the authority of Jesus. Christ and Lord, master and ruler and savior and deliverer. Because of the cross, because of these things, it said in verse 36 that God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the authority, which means he has the final say. This is how authority works. You can be in a room full of people, and if somebody's in charge, if somebody's the boss, they have the final say. They get the final word, right? And some of you husbands and wives are thinking, is that me or you? Is that you or me? And like, I think that's you. And in our house, it's Christy, right? And Christy has the, I can think I have the authority, but Christy usually gets the final say. This is how authority works. I mean, you think about this. Have you ever worked in a group of people or traveled with a group of people or been around a group of people? Typically what happens is there's always somebody with a personality that wants to be in charge. And they start acting like they're in charge, even though they are not in charge, right? You ever worked with somebody like that? Those people are usually the loudest ones, and they try to boss people around. And in our Minnesota nice culture, everyone's kind of like, am I supposed to do what that person says? They're, they're loud, and they're in my face. I've worked with people like that. In that moment, it's key for us to recognize, okay, this person, it's typically some dude in a suit that doesn't fit right and greasy hair, and he's just loud. And the, and the louder they are just means they're trying to 
show that they have authority that they have not been given. Anyone experienced someone like that? Yes? Okay. We have experienced that where it just takes somebody to kind of stand up and say, you're acting like you're in charge, but you ain't in charge. Nobody puts you in charge. You don't get the final word because there is a boss who is going to stand up at the end of the discussion and say, no, this is what we're going to do. The one in authority has the final say. This, is, uh, this was real to us in our house with our children. You know, we have four kids. When they were younger, they all have different personalities. And at one point, one of our daughters, when she was four, about four years old, and for sake of confidentiality, I don't want to say which one it was. I'll just refer to her as Betty. <laughs> at four years old, Betty had decided that she was in charge of her siblings, even her older siblings. Now, her older brother, Charlie, at the time was about seven years old. Charlie's a very sweet, kind of agreeable boy. And at that time, he just assumed if somebody was bossing him around, it meant he was supposed to listen. And so there were so many times where Charlie would just come into the room and he'd be sad. And we're like, why are you sad, bud? Well, Betty said I had to turn the TV off. Like, what? Betty said it was time for bed, or Betty said I wasn't doing that. And he'd just be sad because his little sister had bossed him around and he didn't like it. And we would say, but Charlie, Betty's not in charge of you. And you could see the wheels kind of like, what? <laughs> and I would say, Charlie, in this house, who's in charge? He said, well, you and mom. And I said, well, mom, but thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> You don't need to listen to your little sister. Even though she's acting like she has the final word, even though she's acting like she's in charge, she ain't in charge. And so, and we would say, next time, Charlie, if she's bossing you around, you just go up to her and say, you're not my mother. And Charlie, because he couldn't quite get it right, he, we would hear him go up to Betty, you're not my mother, my mother. And so we would hear this, and we would see him kind of get this realization. I don't need to listen to this voice of my little sister because she ain't in charge. And there was times where absolute chaos ensued as Charlie was learning to stand in this newfound freedom that he had of, I don't need to listen. And we would hear from upstairs, you're not my mother. And then just chaos would ensue as the <laughs> spiritual warfare began. And we would just be downstairs laughing, thinking we're either good parents or bad parents. <laughs> it's one or the other. The line is very thin at some, at some times. We've all been around people who are acting like they're in charge, but who aren't in charge. This is the voice of the enemy in your life, this condemning voice, this voice that's going to come and say, you've messed up, God can't use you, you've sinned too much, God doesn't have a plan for your life, you don't have purpose and value in your life. It's a dead end. Death is, you know, you're under the grips of depression or anxiety. You should live in fear because of all these things. You should live in fear because of all the stuff that's going on in the world. Those are the greasy suit, greasy hair guy in the boardroom voices that don't have any authority. Because the ultimate authority has been placed in Jesus Christ, who has the final word. Even when you are breathing your last breath on this earth, the final word for your life is not death. It is Jesus. The final word when you are walking through the very clutches of hell and death in your life is not those nagging voices that are trying to bring you condemnation and discouragement. You can confidently say, you're not my mother. I don't have to listen to you because you have no authority in my life, right? 
Does that make sense? Are you receiving that today? This is the work of the cross is that God has made this Jesus Lord and Christ. He is the authority. Who is in charge of your life? It's Jesus Christ. Who has the final say? Who declares your value and worth? Who declares whether you are not, whether you are forgiven? It is Jesus, and he has declared it. This word from the Lord that he has the authority is life and forgiveness and salvation. Amen? This is what it means to be under the authority of Jesus. Sin and addiction and pain and shame and condemnation, depression and fear and not even death. All of these things are nagging voices that have no authority over your life anymore because of Jesus Christ. Amen? This is why we celebrate. He has the final word. He has the ultimate authority because of the cross and because of the empty grave. There's one thing I want to mention. There is one thing that can oppose the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And it's not the very clutches of darkness. Those fall under Jesus' authority. It's not something that's going to happen to you. It's not death at the end of your life. The one thing that can oppose the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is you. Is you. You can choose whether or not you're going to continue to be lord of your life or if you're going to bring your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So when we look at those two titles that God gave Jesus, Lord and Christ, we can bring our lives under the salvation of Jesus as Christ, as our Messiah, as our forgiver, as the one who holds our eternity in his hands. And we can say, yes, I love Jesus, the Christ part, the Savior, the one who forgives me of my sins and sets me free. But when you bring yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ, you also bring yourself under the authority of Jesus, the Lord the one who is in authority, which means you are not in authority anymore, which means that you bring your life and you die to yourself and you say, Lord, I am not even in charge of my life anymore. I bring my life under your authority as Lord and Christ. It's a choice that we will make. We all must make this choice. Many of us have made that choice to receive not only the salvation and the saving of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness, but also the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life. This is the choice that we make, and it's not a one-time thing. Now, forgiveness, we, that's a set thing. That sin and death, that falls under the authority of Christ. It's been paid for. What is an ongoing struggle in our lives is us bringing our own will under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every day deciding, Lord, today is about your lordship over my life. And there's going to be a number of times where what you want for me and what I want for me come into opposition. And who's going to win in that moment? There's going to be a number of times where the nagging little sister voice is coming and we're going to say, am I going to listen to what I want, the things that will make me feel good, the things that will make me feel happy, the things that I desire, these addictions that I follow, this pattern of sin, this desire to be in charge or to make all the own my own decisions for my life. It is the God of this age right now. It's just follow whatever you want, whatever you find true for you. Are we going to follow that or are we going to bring our life as a decision every day to the cross of Jesus Christ to lay our lives down and say, Lord, it is about what you want for my life. This is Jesus, Savior and Lord. And we can't have one without the other. There was a, a time when uh, before Jesus died on the cross, he was with his disciples and Peter was one of them. Peter's the guy who's preaching this sermon today that we're reading about. This was earlier on and 
Jesus kept talking to his disciples about, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be handed over to the religious leaders and the Roman rulers, and I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again. And the disciples could not grasp this. They could not fathom that if this Messiah was for real, he would never be cr- allow himself to be crucified. So Peter kind of gets in Jesus' face and said, Jesus, stop talking like that. You don't need to lay your life down. You're a conqueror. You're going to deliver us. You're going to free Israel from Rome. You're going to do all these things. Stop talking about laying your life down. If you know the story, you know that Jesus' response to Peter was very harsh. It was, get behind me, Satan. That's like, whoa. The other disciples got to be like, okay, don't bring that up ever again. Like, (laughs) get behind me, Satan, because you're only thinking about what you want, not what God wants. Jesus even knew his plan for his life didn't involve everything he wanted. Christy preached a great message on Friday night on our Good Friday service about how the battle truly was won in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was crucified because that was when, in prayer, he recognized he was going to have to go endure the cross, and he admitted to God the Father, I don't want to do it. Is there another way for me to do this? This does not sound good. I would prefer to avoid the cross. He said, yet my will is not important. Your will is done. I will take the cup that you have for me. I will, the the role that you have for my life, the lot that you have, the plan for you that you have, that is what is important. So Jesus modeled it. It isn't what I want. It isn't what's going to make it easy or happy or comfortable. It is what God wants. It is the same thing. And in that moment, after Peter says to Jesus, don't talk about that, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're only thinking about what you want and not what God wants. He says these words to Peter, and he says it to all of his disciples, including us today, in Matthew chapter 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, and this is the call for us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is making Jesus Lord of your life. And it's a daily decision to take up our cross. As Jesus carried the cross for us, now we, every day, we say, Lord, whatever you want for my life. I don't want to fall into this pattern of what makes me happy or fulfilled or what makes me comfortable. I want to live for you. And if there's a day where there is suffering, I will gladly endure it because that's what you did for us. If there's a day where my cross means I'm taking a big step of faith or I'm taking the step of faith for you or I'm being generous or I'm talking to this person or I'm getting rid of this area of my life that is an area of compromise, I will gladly take up my cross and follow you because this is the call that we have when we make Jesus not only just our Savior but our Lord as well. Does that make sense? This lordship of Jesus will put us on the path of life, but we got to choose to do it. And if you choose to follow your own path, follow your own authority, well then you're declaring, Jesus, you're not my Lord. You're not my Lord. I'm going to follow my own path. And there's going to come a day, every day as a follower of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus Christ will come into our opposition with our lordship. And we got to decide who's in charge. We got to decide who's in charge. So maybe you're here today, and here's what we're going to do. In just a couple of minutes, we're going to sing another song. And maybe you're here today, and this idea, you come to church on Easter because, you know, it's Easter Sunday, and that's when you go to church. And Last time you were here, it was Easter Sunday, and you're like, man, all they ever preach about is the resurrection at church. And we we got lots of other good sermons throughout the year, but... Here's the deal. If you don't even believe any of this and you were just told by a family member, if you want Easter dinner this afternoon, you have to come to church. (laughs) I get it. 
I understand, and we're glad you're here. We're glad that you're here. This is a place, Christy mentioned, that we want to be a community of people that just love and support one another. Wherever you're at in your walk, and you're just testing this out, or you're trying it out, or you're not even sure what you believe, we get that. I get that. And I, I would just reiterate, there's credible evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is, there is good reason to believe that we are here celebrating a risen Savior. But I bet there's a lot of people here who have maybe made that decision. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I know that this is more than just an Easter story. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. I know that this is more than just a story, but there's always that roadblock to you bringing your life under the authority of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to receive his saving, to receive his mercy, to make him truly the Lord of your life. Maybe you've never done that. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And in a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And I'm just going to ask if there's anyone who wants to make that decision to just raise your hand. And we're going to all pray something together. There's nothing magical about raising the hand. There's nothing in the book of Leviticus that says you must get everyone in your church to put their hand up. That's not magical at all. But what it is is just a sign between you and God saying, I am making this declaration just by simply raising my hand that I receive your salvation, that I make you the Lord of my life. So we're going to do that in a moment. But before we do... The story goes on after Peter says this, that Jesus has been made Lord and Christ who you crucified. And then it says this in verse 37 and through 39, right after that. Now, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. The audience that heard this, the Spirit of God was convicting them. And maybe the Spirit of God is doing that in your heart right now. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, in the authority of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and be baptized. We don't have a water baptism service today. We're going to have one coming up when it's a little bit warmer because we do it outside. We would have been like those chicks and ducks out there freezing under the heating lamp trying to do a baptism today. Here's what it means. Repent means turn away from. It's not just to say, okay, I'm sorry. It is a turn away from. Okay? Maybe if you've had a child in your home that was like kept doing something and they kept saying sorry and you knew there was never a chance that they were going to actually not do that again. There, in repentance, there is a admitting your fault and turning away from and turning towards God. And baptized is just the outward expression of this faith. So in other words, what Peter is saying is make a declaration inside your life that Jesus is Lord and make a declaration outside that Jesus Christ is Lord. Repent and be baptized. What should we do? All the people were asking, maybe you're asking today, how do I do this? Just admit you need a Savior and give your life over to not just the Savior Jesus, but the Lord Jesus as well. And we learn together how to walk under the authority of Christ. That's what we do, and we're never going to be perfect. We're going to mess up, but we know that it's not that forgiveness of Jesus is kind of tenuous and like hanging in the balance. It's secure. It's under the authority because of the cross, and every day we just learn more and more how to walk in the path of life that Jesus has made for us and placed us on. That's what it's about, is just this decision to follow Jesus and to learn to be more like him. And even when you trip up, you just keep going. You know that his forgiveness is there for you and you keep learning about Jesus and growing in your faith and you begin to see change in your life and other people look at you and you're like, you're a completely different person. That's what we want. There's people in the room today that you look at them and you're like, you're a completely different person than you were a year ago or 10 years ago or two months ago. It's because of the work of Jesus Christ, the path of life that he puts you on. So here's what we're going to do. 
I want to give you that opportunity to respond today. And we're going to pray a prayer together, and then the worship team's going to lead us in a song. And the song they're going to lead us is just so fitting for today. A couple of the words are, Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, the name of Jesus, because everything is under his authority. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So can we stand together? And I, we're going to pray. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And I just want to, before we pray, I want to give an opportunity. Maybe you just want to make that simple step to just lift up your hand and declare, yes, I need to become saved. I need a savior. I need a Lord. I need to be taken out from the paths of death and put on the path of life. If that's you today, could you just lift up your hand and just acknowledge, I need a savior today. I want to be set free. I want to be forgiven. Is there anyone who would acknowledge that today by lifting up your hand? Let's have every eye closed, every head bowed. Yeah, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you for lifting up your hands. This is a new start in Christ. Maybe you've never become real to you, and you just say, today, Lord, I need a Savior. I need a Lord. If that's you, we'll just wait a couple of minutes. I see these hands. Is there anyone else that wants to be included in this prayer? We're going to all pray together. Thank you for putting up your hands. You can put the hands down now, and let's pray this together. Everyone, I'm asking you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I receive your forgiveness that you paid for on the cross. I receive new life. I make you my Lord and my Savior. I am a sinner, but you have forgiven me, and you have put me on the path of life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we do this? For those who raise their hands, can we give them a round of applause? Can we congratulate them? We thank you for doing that today. And now can we do this as we wrap up this Easter service? Can we just begin to celebrate who he is? Just lift up our hands, begin to praise him. Lord, you are the one who has set us free. You have all authority in my life, the power over sin and death and over the grave. We lift you up. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Let's sing it together.
Let's worship him today. Our risen King, our Savior and Lord. Hallelujah. The one who set us free, we praise you, God. He is risen. He is risen. Lord, we celebrate you today, the risen Savior, our King, under whom everything falls under your authority. And so, Lord, we declare, we, we lay our lives down before you, our King, our Savior, our Lord. Lord, we know that you have a plan of life and fulfilling joy and healing purpose and value. So, Lord, we just surrender to you today. Ask that you would continue to draw us closer to you. That ask that you would make us more like Jesus. Establish your kingdom in our hearts. Build your church. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We praise you. We worship you because you are our King and our Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us on Easter Sunday. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon.